Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. At Advent, we've made a, a habit of, of standing for the gospel reading, um, not because we believe that the gospels are more inspired than the rest of the Bible, but rather because the gospel is the fulfillment of the Bible. Um, and so we want to show uh, our excitement and our reverence for it as we, as we uh, read it together. So if you would, let's stand now, um, and I will read for us John eight twelve through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony, therefore, is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. Well, I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the gospel of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. uh, If you would, please join me in prayer as we consider this together. Um, Our God and Father, I do thank you. I thank you that you have sent us your son, Lord, that he is the light of the world. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hands and feet to do your will. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, When I was in college, I worked for a couple of summers at at a summer camp in uh, North East Alabama called Alpine Camp for Boys, and um, it was uh, something that actually quite a few folks from my college would go, and I never didn't grow up going there, but um, I always was placed with the younger kids. I don't exactly know what that says about me, but I always had the very youngest kids in camp, but one time, uh, actually every single summer, we would take the fourth grade kids all to a place called Cumberland Caverns. Um, if y'all have ever been to Southern Tennessee, you might have gone to Cumberland Caverns. It's, uh, I think it has actually the largest single cave in the United States. Um, and so what we would do is we'd take these fourth graders, we'd actually go camping and spend the night in the cave, and then it was what I call uh, you know, small person's revenge in that we would go spelunking throughout the cave and, uh, and it was terrible uh, for someone my size. But it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but while we were there, they would, uh, right before bed, they, do, they did this light show um, and this kind of heretical re- uh, retelling of Genesis chapter one. That's not the important part. What is the important part though um, is that as they begin the show, For the first time, they turn off all the lights. 
And it was the darkest I have ever experienced darkness, right? So dark that I couldn't see the hand in front of my face. I know people have said that before, but it's different to experience it, right? It's so dark that you're not even focused on what you can or cannot see any longer, but you like begin to feel the darkness, right? Well, that's that's what's going on in this passage here. That's the type of darkness that Jesus comes and brings uh, his light and his word to us this evening, right? Because we live in this darkness all of the time. We live in a disconnected world. We live in a, in a, in a, in a type of darkness where our own hearts are darkened and saddened, beset by anxieties and depressions. And the Bible tells us that this is all the root cause of sin. So it's our own doing, right? The sadness, the hatred, the confusion that we feel, right? They all begin with our desire to do it our way. Right? In, our, in our own declaration of independence from God himself, we have this darkness that grows and grows, right? And it, it's in this darkness that we find that we're lost, we aren't sure where we are in life or what we're to do. We aren't sure what is right or wrong. And so there, there become these big cultural questions like, am I on the right side of history? Or what even is right or wrong? Am I loved? Am I alone? Did I make another mistake? I don't actually know. Is that another misstep in my, in, in my walk? It's into that context of sin and darkness that Jesus gives us these words this evening. Right? He's claiming to be the light of the world. And so I want to talk about how he is that light and what he illuminates. And we're going to talk about three, three areas. First, interpersonally, how he illumines our hearts. Then we want to talk about how Christ illuminates our path. And finally, how he illuminates the world. So first, let's look at how um, he illuminates our hearts. Um, this is not a rhetorical question. A lot of pastors ask rhetorical questions. How many of y'all have taken a personality test? How many of you have taken more than three? Okay, that's what I figured, right? We take personality tests over and over. In fact, over the last 50 years, they have exponentially grown in their popularity. And psychology uh, uh, professors and you know, those in, particularly in that field agree that it's because we find ourselves to be a mystery, right? We want to know, who am I really? I, am, I, am I a creative thinker? Am I an extrovert? Am I an introvert? Who am I at my core? Yet though we often find ourselves to be a mystery, we also told frequently to be ourselves, right? I, I actually decided this week to Google um, how to be myself, um, and there were multiple pages with five steps to being your authentic self, 10 steps to being more fully you, 16 steps, so on and so forth. We're a mystery even to ourselves, and yet we're told things like, trust yourself, Luke, right? Or um, to thine own self be true, or you do you, right? How? How do we do that? How can we, when we struggle to know who we truly are, when we struggle to even look deeply into our own hearts, how can we see into that type of darkness? And not only that, we kind of have to ask the question, do we want to see into that darkness of our own hearts? Do we want to see the dark corners of our hearts? Most of the time, I don't, right? Because I'd rather just think that I'm, I'm as good as I like to pretend that I am, 
Most of the time, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy with, with a personality test that has some pretty cool insights about my creative thinking. Not that I'm, you know, a little bit discombobulated or perhaps forget things at times. No, I, I don't focus on that. I focus on the fact that I'm, I'm a creative thinker, right? It feels a whole lot easier to focus on those sorts of things. We treat the dark corners of our hearts sort of like we do those, um, those closets or those drawers where you just throw everything in there where it doesn't have a place. In our family, we call it the gift closet, right, where it's not just gifts. It's also everything that has no place at all. And we only open the door um, if we're, if we're going to grab one little thing and then we close it back as fast as possible, Right? We don't want to spend any time in our hearts. We don't want to spend any time in the mess. As we think about what this means for us, this passage for us tonight and for our own hearts, we need to pay attention particularly to who Jesus is talking to here. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, who is his audience? Well, he had been teaching his disciples in the passage kind of up to this, but now he is uh, currently at the festival of, uh, of tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, and he's teaching in the temple, but he's teaching right here to the Pharisees. I, this, this is a group of people who kept the law immaculately. Right, to the letter of the law. And despite their immaculate law-keeping, despite their outward appearance that is good and right, Jesus is saying, you are darkened. Right? They are in need of light, and we are no different. Even when we want to do the right thing and to live by the law of God, we can be darkened. In one of, in one of her, uh, her short stories called Revelation, Flannery O'Connor writes about a particular character who thinks that she is, is completely virtuous. But one of the things she ultimately says is that ultimately Jesus will burn our virtues away. Right? The things that make us think that we're too good for his grace, that darken our hearts almost as much as anything else. Is it possible that we're even deceived about how dark our hearts truly are? Is it possible that we long to think better about ourselves and to justify ourselves so we can use God's law kind of like a little light bulb or like a flashlight where I'll happily shine it on the nice corners of my heart or I'll happily shine it on the messy corners of your heart. But I don't want to put it in my own. To believe, to, to do anything different is too challenging, but... Christ comes in. Christ comes in with his massive, bright, shining sunlight in the very corners of our hearts where as we compare ourselves to Jesus, as we compare our love to Christ's love, we are found wanting. As we compare our sacrifice to Christ's sacrifice, we are found wanting. His light exposes our hearts in scary ways, but though it is scary, it is ultimately good. When we find out that Christ is light, we often, we want to run away from it, despite it being good, because it is scary. Um, Famous psychologist and philosopher Carl Jung, it's actually, I think, one of the reflection quotes, uh, despite not being a Christian, recognize that we have a tendency, though, uh, you know, though we would all say Jesus is the light, right? That may not be a claim that many of us would struggle with. We don't really want it to hit us in a personal way. 
He says, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. The latter procedure, however, is disagreeable and therefore not popular. What Jung is saying here is that we often prefer to just think nicely about Jesus and not let it affect anything about what is going on deeply and darkly in our own hearts. But what we have to do if we want to change is we have to expose that darkness to Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to focus utterly upon the darkness. Rather, it means we're just supposed to name it, give it to Jesus, and turn to him. That's what the Bible calls over and over again repentance, which literally means to turn. It means to turn from our way, to acknowledge what it is that we are doing that's wrong, and to turn back toward Jesus. It's in exposing our hearts to the light, and yet again, hearing the the forgiveness that's offered to us in Jesus Christ that we begin to grow, and that we begin to live in his light. Which brings us to our second point. How do we? What does it look like that he illuminates our path? Well, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem for, for one of the festivals uh, of uh, ceremonies called the, the Feast of Tabernacles, as I, as I mentioned. Um, and we learned that according to verse 20, Jesus spoke to his followers um, in the treasury of the temple. Right? And this would have been actually the busiest part of the temple. So this is where he set up his location to, to proclaim the types of things that he is proclaiming. But at the very center of the treasury, there were four torches. And during the Feast of, uh, of Tabernacles, those four torches would have been lit. And these, these torches are enormously tall, right? about the same size uh, and same height as the temple walls themselves. So at the Feast of Tabernacles, they would light them. They would all begin dancing and having a good time together. And that is where Jesus makes the claim, I am the light of the world. What is he drawing on? Well, the festival in particular was meant to remind the people of Israel of God's leading them through the wilderness and out of Egypt by his pillar of fire. Right? They're celebrating that God led his people over and out of slavery and into the promised land. This is more than when Jesus says, I am the light of the world here. He's saying more than just some sort of metaphorical statement about light and darkness. Right? In every single one of Jesus' I am statements, he's making a claim of divinity. And so therefore, here he is saying, I am the pillar of fire. I am the one who led you out of Egypt and into the promised land. I'm greater than Moses. I'm the one who protected you from evil. Jesus is saying that by him and through him, our path in life is illuminated. In the darkness of the world, and despite the fact that we feel like we don't know what we're doing or what God is doing, he is our path, and we're to follow him. My question for us tonight, because it's true of all of us, is to what degree are we following our own path versus Jesus' path? Are you following the light of your own heart, or are you following the light in the wilderness? knowing that at times it feels like it's going nowhere because, right, the pillar of fire would just stay still at times before leading the people of Israel out. But ultimately, it led them to the promised land. And so we know 
where Christ's path leads. It leads to death. Death of our own dreams, but that death leads to life. It leads to life in the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us that as we seek first his kingdom, that we will get it. And we'll also get love, joy, peace, and patience. Right? As we seek his glory, our life begins to find meaning and purpose. Well, uh, a year or so ago, before we were beginning the work of Advent, um, as I was working at a past, as a pastor at Christ the King, I was meeting with a congregant, and we were uh, talking about his recent job change and, and what ultimately led to that. He, he uh, stepped down from a very high-paying job um, and took a pretty kind of frightening new job uh, that ultimately forced his family to sell, sell their home. And uh, there was a lot of life change according to this job change. And so we were talking about it, and he opened up about, um, about the circumstances that led, led to the job uh, switch. And essentially, in the old job, he was in a role where there was a, a boondoggle or a party uh, that he would go to at least once a week. And at this, not only was it just sort of a culture of kind of binge drinking and heavy drinking, but ultimately what led to his conscience uh, uh, being so weighed down that he had to leave was the fact that multiple bosses and other members of, of, uh, of his co-worker, co-working staff would bring mistresses to these parties. And so he felt that he was being complicit in, in the adultery and the secret of their adultery and not bringing it forth to their wives who were also his friend. What, what should he do? He felt like he couldn't be around it any longer and so, and so he left. My point is this. Following Christ is never easy. It's good, but it isn't easy. It would have been easier to, to kind of just stay in the job, to stay in on that track with, with, uh, with the house and, and the money, and maybe just stay a little bit silent. But that wouldn't have been the right thing. That would not have been, uh, that would not have been the Christ-like path to take. And so he left. And my point for us this evening is where should we do the same what is the area in our own life where Jesus is calling us to live differently? Maybe it's to pick a different job. I doubt it. Um, it doesn't always have to be that big. But where are we listening to our hearts where we should listen to Jesus? Where are we listening to the people around us instead of Jesus? Right? Where are we listening to the world again instead of Jesus? Christ tells us to follow him even when it doesn't make sense. And as we do so, it's a path that actually leads to that type of celebration and dancing that's going on here at the Feast of Tabernacles. Because Christ is our light, we have more than we could ever anticipate. And that leads to our third point, that Jesus illuminates our world. In addition to the pillar of fire uh, of the Exodus event, Jesus is picking up on another uh, biblical illusion from the Old Testament. Um, he's, he's picking up on the hopes of Israel, right? Israel was commanded again and again in the Old Testament to be a light to the nations. But through sin, they failed to do so. So in the writing of Isaiah, which, which uh, Tony read for us a little bit earlier, God promises that Israel will become that light. Isaiah begins to describe a servant that will come 
in the later chapters of the prophetic book, particularly in, in Isaiah 42, it says, I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. Well, so God is going to send a servant, and this servant would be the covenant. This servant would be the means by which the people will experience the light, and thus they will be made free, as the passage goes on to say. This promise is not just for the Israelite people, right? It's, it's for every tongue, for every tribe, and every nation. This becomes true for you and me. So Jesus is proclaiming something amazing about his Messiahship and about his ministry. It's, it's not about redemption from Roman captivity. It's not about um, an Israelite nation. It's about Jesus being the light that Israel could never be unless we be haughty. It's about us not being able to be that light either. He is the light that brings salvation to all people, to the whole world. And all who come to him in faith are now a light unto the world as well. We become reflectors of that light. For we testify to the covenant that he has brought, that he brings. Um, and this is, I think, an area where we in the church have a lot of trouble. In some ways, we've allowed for the light to shine personally in our own hearts, or maybe even in small corners of the church, but we haven't allowed for Christ's light to reflect or to illuminate all aspects of who we are as God's people, as the church. Right? There's this belief, particularly in American evangelicalism, if y'all have been paying a little bit to, the, uh, um, to, to kind of Christian news recently, you've heard a lot of, of scandal or, or struggle where people have then admitted, you know, we didn't really want to admit something that had happened because had we admitted it, we would, have, we would have hurt our witness. Maybe y'all have heard that phrase. Or the reputation of Jesus would have been harmed passage is teaching us tonight the answer to those things is no unequivocally unequivocally no because as Stanley Hauerwas says in one of the other quotes on your bulletin he says never think that you need to protect God because anytime you think you need to protect God you can be sure that you are worshiping an idol we're not called to protect the witness of the church or to protect the name of Jesus because he alone does that. I am incapable of doing so. Rather, we are called to follow the light, to allow for it to shine into our hearts, into our organizations, and into our church. When we fail to do so, it leaves a lot of pain and destruction in the wake. Um, Many of y'all may know uh, that we've set up the Advent office at uh, a place called Local Office on Bissonette. It's a shared working space um, like we work, if you're familiar with that, which means like I'm really cool. Um, but actually what's really wonderful about it is I, I share an office with like 30 other businesses. And so I was talking um, with, with someone who found out that we were planting a church and um, you know, there's one of two things that happen when someone finds out you're a pastor. They either move on real fast or they, they like sit down and talk for 20 or so minutes. And this actually happened to be one of those, those circumstances. Um, this accountant was sharing how she and her husband had left their other church because of scandal that got covered up. 
You see, almost nobody leaves church because of a scandal, or very few, I should say, leave church because of scandal. Far more leave because of the cover-up, because of the challenge and the hurt that it provides. It essentially says, we don't believe what we say we believe, right? Forgiveness can't actually happen here, so we can't be honest about the sin, And so she was divulging this to us, and I would imagine that she is not the only one who's gone through that, that you all have as well. And so I pray, as we think aspirationally about what Advent will be, and we try to do so in light of the fact that we're broken people trying to live faithfully after Jesus, my prayer for our church is that we will be a church that wants for Christ's light to shine in all areas of our church, to shine into the light of our hearts, to shine the light of our path, and to shine into every corner of who we are as a church as well. And that means, that means even to allow it to, to shine on things that are embarrassing at times. As that happens, we find that we're following the light of life, that we're embracing his good news and that his light is showing forth in the world. Let me conclude with this last thought. Um, John, John uses this metaphor of light and darkness throughout all of his writings in the New Testament. John uh, is picking up on the creation theme of light and darkness in Genesis 1 and 2. Right? Where if you remember, in the beginning was God. And darkness covered the face of the deep. But God enters in and God speaks light into existence. He speaks life into existence. And God shines light into darkness and they're, they're separated. And God creates the sun and the moon to rule over the darkness. But so John is saying in light of all of that, that Jesus is coming into the world as a recreation, that the light is coming in Christ, and as his presence comes, our world and our lives are becoming more the way that they were, that they were supposed to be, that they were intended to be. As we read in our, as we read in our New Testament uh, reading from Revelation, the Bible ends with a picture of what our future will be like when the new heavens and the new earth come together, right? when everything that is wrong in the world is made right, Revelation picks back up on that same theme as John, John is the author of Revelation as well. Picks up on John, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But there's some key differences between them. It says that in the new heavens and the new earth there will no longer be a sun or a moon because the light of God is all that we will need. It's in that day that we will be so alive in our relationship with them, with God through Jesus Christ that there is no need for any physical light where everything that you could possibly imagine about the good life is now true, where sin and death, where cancer, physical struggle, loneliness, all of those things are put to death because in Christ we will have the light of life. Let me pray. Our God and Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, as you, 
As you have sent the light into the world, I pray, Lord, that we would have courage to expose some of the the struggles in our own hearts, the things that we've been struggling with to somebody somebody trustworthy. Lord, and as we do so, I pray that you would... Um, that you would pry into our hearts, that we would turn more and more to you. And I pray also, Father, that we as a church would turn and follow you, that we would follow you in our path and that we would allow your light to shine into every corner of who we are. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.